I want to turn to, uh, have you turn to John chapter 13. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We'll put one in your hand. It should already be marked with the 13th chapter of John. John chapter 13. And I'm going to read just verses 3 through 5. John chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. And this is what it says, starting in the third verse, 13th chapter of John. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, it was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Let's pray again. Lord, we ask that you would speak to us now by your word. Lord, remove any distractions in the name of Jesus. Lord, fill this place with your spirit, and use this time, Lord, to draw us near to you, laying down all of our cares and burdens at your feet, but Lord, filling us with your truth and your righteousness, and we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, this text really spoke to me several weeks back, and I chose October the 1st, uh, we, as I mentioned, because we have three months left in this year. We have three months left to finish our race of 2017, to finish our course of 2017. Every year, God gives us days, weeks, months, and years. And so to finish this year out, say, Lord, every now and then we know, no matter where we're at in the Bible, we're in the book of Proverbs on Wednesdays, we're in the book of Ephesians on Sundays, but every now and then, if we're not actually in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, if we're not actually in the Gospels, it's really good for all of us from time to time to look literally at the life of Jesus, literally at his life. Because everyone else in the, the apostles, they wrote about his life. But he lived this perfect life for us to understand what it is that he would have us to do. And to look at his earthly ministry on a day that will also take the Lord's Supper is also a really good time to reflect and say, Lord, this is how you live. This is how you walk. How do I want to finish this home stretch of the year as I look to finish out this year, but also looking in to the year to come? I've titled this uh, portion of text this morning, the, uh, the Power Paradox. And if you think about the word power, you might immediately think of, let's say, the powerful forces of nature, such as the hurricanes or the force of water or wind and waves. Some think of muscular strength. Maybe you think of me when you, no, I'm not, really you won't, but uh, think of muscular strength, physique, something I had when I was younger, things like that. Um, some think of powerful, connected people, power lunches, power meetings, power ties, you know, all that kind of stuff. Some think of maybe nuclear power, frightening thing, right? And those are just a few examples of the word power when we think of power. But as Christians, would you agree with me that we need power? That we need power. Those of you who have a cell phone, you know it needs power, right? And the longer you have it, the real, you realize the less it actually holds power, right? But that's not true of the Christian life. The longer we're saved, the more we can hold power. 
your body might fade, but you can actually hold more of the power of God the more you mature in the Lord. That's a great thing, isn't it? That doesn't work on iPhones and Samsung Galaxies and all that stuff. We need power. And Jesus shows us in his life where this power comes from. It's not a power that can be found anywhere but in him and through him. And yet it's available to anyone that's willing to receive it, provided you first come to Christ as your Lord and Savior. But once you've done that, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, doesn't matter if you're 90 or 9, anyone can receive the power of God and walk in it. I know I need it. I believe we all need it. And here's the great thing. Jesus is not only ready, but willing and wanting to give us more power in our life. Do you believe that? But it's not always going to happen. Matter of fact, it won't ever happen the way maybe the world would think that power comes. It's not happening the way it happens on Venice Beach, right? You know, gloss up and work out, right? That's not the kind of power Jesus gives. It's way beyond that. There's a, a, the word paradox, the power paradox. What do I mean by that? This word paradox, uh, the definition is a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement or proposition that when investigated and explained may well prove to be true. Well, everything you examine about Jesus will prove to be true, amen? If he says, this is how you receive power, and you say, well, that doesn't seem logical. And Jesus says, would I tell you anything but the truth? Of course, he only tells the truth. He only provides the truth. He says he is the truth, the way, the life, and the truth. And so as we look at this power paradox, and God desired us, for, us to have more of his power in our life for the work of the Lord in our life. Let's take a look at three things from the text this morning. The first thing I want to take a look at is I've titled Fully Aware. Here in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things, had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going to God. We have here that Jesus knew and it did not alter reality if some didn't believe it. Did you hear me? Jesus knew these things. It did not alter reality if others didn't believe it, and some didn't believe it, but Jesus knew three facts, these three facts to be true, and it underscores what Luke says in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, that Jesus steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem steadfastly set his face to Jerusalem. You could not get Jesus to deviate off the mark, could you? You could not get him to say, hey, I know that this whole thing that God wants you to do is really important, but what about this over here? No. He was resolute. He steadfastly had his face set to Jerusalem. Why? Jesus knowing the Father had given him all things. He had come from God, and he was going to God. Jesus knew the cross awaited him. Can you imagine knowing that? Can you imagine knowing that when you get to be 33, you're going to be crucified? We're not talking about the electric chair here. We're not talking about a little injection. We're talking about crucifixion, one of the most coolest forms of death. He knew the cross awaited him. He knew the pain that awaited him. He knew suffering and death awaited him. He knew rejection and humiliation awaited him, but his course was still set, wasn't it? Didn't move. 
This passage in verse 3 refers to what Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, what it calls the joy set before him. You ever read that in Hebrews, the joy set before him? Like, what in the world? How could the cross be the joy set before him? Well, it wasn't the cross that was the joy. It was what was going to give birth from the cross. That's you and, I, that's you and me. That's going back to the Father. That's actually gathering the family of God someday. That was the joy that Jesus saw at the end. And I was talking to, to my, my girls. We were doing a little devotion in the house. And I said, you know, if I told you guys, if you did this, 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 and this, at the end of it, you have a $1,000 check coming that I'll write you. But you're going to have to endure some difficulty to get to it. It's only nine months, but you finish the school year up, get these kind of grades. It makes it worth it when you actually know what's on the other side. Amen? Jesus, he could always see eternity past, couldn't he? He could always see eternity past. He knew, John chapter 17, Lord, the relationship that you and me had from the beginning. He could see eternity past. He always had eternity past in his heart and in his mind. He could see the difficulty of the presence. Boy, we can see the difficulty of the present, can't we? Matter of fact, we're usually fixated on the difficulty of the present, aren't we? But he could also see the finish line of the future. He could always see the finish line of the future. And Luke itemizes three things for us that were ever present in the mind of Jesus. Ever present. The first one, he owns it all. Isn't that great to know? Look what it says. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands. Everywhere Jesus walked, even while people were making fun of him, even while people were saying, hey, you know, you're not really the, who you think you are. Hey, they even Pharisees even said, hey, this guy's with the devil. How about that one for an accusation? You think you've been, uh, well, maybe sometimes you've heard something like that, but uh, everywhere Jesus went, no matter where he went, everywhere the soles of his feet touched, that belonged to him. He created it all. Remember Satan was trying to give him, hey, I'll give you this kingdom and that kingdom and you know, all this stuff. Jesus knows, like, I already own all this, right? This already belongs to me. You can't bargain with me. I created everything. I spoke it into existence. Jesus always knew he owns it all. Number two, he knew he came down from God the Father, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? He sent his son into the world. He knew he'd come from God. <clears throat> you know, so people would say, hey, well, you didn't come from God. You're Joseph's kid. Jesus knew full well, um, biologically, I'm not Joseph's kid. You weren't there in Bethlehem that night. You weren't there. I was there. Ask Mary, she'll tell you. <laughs> He knew he had come down from God. This is very important that you know where you come from. That you know that you come from the Lord. If you're saved, you now come from God giving you life. Not America. America can't give you a born-again life. You have to know where you come from. I come from God's grace. Jesus said, I, I know I've come from the Father. And third, he knew he was going back to the throne that was always his. Aren't you glad that he's there now? Do you know the Bible says that Jesus now sits on a throne? He's made earth his footstool. How about that for a footstool? 
Actually, the earth is a speck in the universe. The whole universe could be his footstool. But for us to understand, it's just to say that the earth is now under his feet. He walked on the earth on his feet, but now the earth is under his feet. But it always was in his hands. There was that work that he had to complete for the Father. Do we believe these three things now? Do we believe that Jesus owns it all? Do we believe that he came from God? Do we believe he's now back with the Father, seated on the throne? Do you believe he's on the throne right now and that he controls all these things? Christian, understand that the proper perspective of things gives us purpose. Does that make sense? That the right perspective gives us purpose. And once this purpose is fully embraced, then we can persevere. Persevering is not easy, is it? But we need the perspective to persevere. What Jesus knew of himself, what he knew of the Father, what he knew of eternity, allowed him to resist temptation throughout his life. He never sinned even once. And stay on course despite the current opposition and the coming opposition, because that was the cross was still yet to come. But look again back at verse 3. Here's what's so important for us and how we live our lives. Whether there will be power in our lives or whether we'll be powerless in our spiritual walk. Look what it says. First two words of chapter 3. <coughs> Jesus knowing. Jesus knowing. Brother and sister, what we know, what we really believe changes everything. We got this, I point to it every now and then, we got this, we believe back here. What you really believe is what you know to be true. That can change everything. True faith and belief is to come to know what God has said and revealed is true no matter what we feel or what others say contrary to it. Did you know that people always say things against the truth all over planet Earth? That's not true. I don't believe that. I don't believe there was a Jesus. I don't believe the Bible's true. I believe it's written by a bunch of men. I believe this, uh, you know, I believe the Quran's the same thing. I believe all roads lead to heaven, right? Jesus says, no, none of that's true. What I say is true. No matter what we feel, sometimes I don't feel saved. How about you? I was like, man. I'm still an idiot after all these years. You know, I, I still don't get this right. I, you know, I don't, where is, the, where is the divine in me, right? You ever feel that way? We're not, that's not salvation. It's the implanted spirit of God by the grace of God. That's great to know because a lot of times our feelings are all out of whack. I don't feel like going to work today. I guess I'll just stay home. Do that a few times, and you'll always have to stay home, right? <laughs> or go somewhere else, but you can't get one back to work, right? <laughs> feelings. Jesus said they're, they're going to lie to you a lot. Your feelings will lie to you. The world will lie to you. The media will lie to you. Twitter will lie to you. You will lie to you, right? That's the thing, because we're imperfect. And so we need, we need a perfect guidebook right here. That constantly say, Lord, what in the world am I supposed to be doing? What does this mean? Romans 3, 4, Paul wrote, Let God be true and every man a liar. 
That's why when I preach, I only have to, I can only use the Word of God. I can't give you a message from Time Magazine or from the New York Times or the Washington Post or anyone else because they can't help you and me with truth. Only the Bible can. Jesus was anchored and fully aware of the truth of God. He was anchored in the truth of God. Now, you say, well, he's Jesus. I know, but, but he also was setting a model for us. We now have the Word of God. We have no excuse. We, ha- <clears throat> we have the Word of God, Genesis to Revelation, 66 books. We have the Word of God. Everything we know about God, think about this. Everything that you and I know about God, everything is found in this book, and then it's manifested in creation, in history, and the transformed lives of saints that have gone before us or ourselves right now. But all of it is verified here. Make sense? In other words, we wouldn't know what forgiveness looked like if God didn't define it. We wouldn't know what the Trinity was if God didn't define it. We wouldn't know what marriage was if God didn't define it. We would not know what it means to be honest, why murder is wrong. We wouldn't know why Jesus came. We wouldn't know that he rose from the dead. Everything we know about God, his love, his future judgment, all of the things that we know, his grace, his mercy, compassion, how he uses Israel in the whole scheme of it all, all of these things, everything we know about God is found in the word of God, but then it's manifested in creation, in history, and in the lives of people he's transformed. And many of the lives he's transformed are people that were diametrically opposed to the Bible until they came to Christ. Amen? Amen. The Apostle Paul is a perfect example, right? He thought he could kill and wipe out Christianity, and God got a hold of me. He said, wow, I didn't realize all this was true. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29, Jesus said these words. I love when Jesus would say this. People didn't love to hear it, but especially because the people he's talking to thought they were really the, the smartest, Scripture-knowing dudes in the room, right? Jesus said, you were mistaken not knowing the Scriptures of the power of God. The Scriptures are the source of the power of God. The power of God is in the Scriptures. You see, the knowledge of truth and the receiving of it is the first infusion of power post-salvation, right? Well, even before salvation, we need the Word of God to open our eyes. It's the lamp. But then once we start to walk by faith and we read the Word of God, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's the infusion of power is through the Word. This happens at the point of salvation, but we have have no power to make ourselves born again, right? We couldn't make ourselves born again. That has to be the power of God. It's when we believe the testimony of Christ and we know we're sinners and we know we need his grace that he gives us the power to be saved. Does that make sense? He gives us the power to be saved. We We can't manufacture the power to be saved. We can't conjure it up. He gives us the power to be saved. But salvation, that's the starting point. Jesus is demonstrating for the disciples here and for us that we'll not only need power for salvation, which is absolutely the case, but we'll need, we'll need the power of God to fulfill the will of God. Would you agree with that? How many think you need power of God to fulfill the will of God in your life? Or, yeah, I, can, well, I, don't, I already know enough, so I can do it now. I've been riding the Christian bike for a long time now. I can do it with my eyes closed. Right? Try doing that for a little bit and you'll crash. Right? 
There's no point where you don't need the power of God to fulfill the will of God. We always need the power of God. Notice what Jesus does with the knowledge of who he is and that all things are unto him. Look at the next passage here. If you're taking notes, I've titled this, Fully Yielded. Notice what he does. Verse 4, And he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin. Say, all right, well, I saw it. What am I looking at here? In our walk as Christians, what we know informs our next move. What we know informs our next move, and our next move is always an internal heart check. Do you hear me? Our next move is always an internal heart check. Something along these lines. Lord, I know you're on the throne. I know I'm here for a reason. What would you have me to do? That's an internal heart check. That's that's an honest conversation with God. I know you're in control. I know you own it all. I know you have a plan. What would you have me to do? For Jesus, even as he's facing the cross, he knows the will of the Father for this moment. Isn't it great that God gives you his voice for this moment? Not just next year. Not just, well, the really big thing, important thing. No, he gives you his will for this moment. And we know he only did the things, Jesus only did the things that were given to him by the Father. Now, yes, the cross is the ultimate will of the Father. It's the biggest of all the things that he must do. But here at this moment, you know what the Father wants? At this moment, he wants these men cleansed. He wants these men filled with power. He wants these men filled with peace. He wants these men to know what a servant is. He wants them to see their master stoop down as a servant, and he wants them to see Jesus himself lay aside any constraints that would keep him from fulfilling fulfilling the service that God's called him to do. But here, even with Jesus, as it would later be with the disciples, and it is for us today, there's a process that Luke lays out. You may not have saw it at first glance, but one thing about the study of Scripture and the preaching of Scripture is you've got to look at it a little longer and dig a little deeper and say, Lord, what, is, what else is here? Well, there's a process that Luke lays out I want you to take a look at. First, Jesus rises from supper. Now, Jesus is what, what he wants us to do. Our rising is really just to go back lower again. Because in a second, he's going to go back down even lower. But understand this. Jesus rises from supper. He then lays aside his garments, and then he girds himself with a towel. He lays off the outer garment, but he grabs a towel, and he wraps it around his waist and ties it there. Understand that yielding to the will of God is yet another infusion of God's power into our inner man. So we talked about it first. We have to know the truth. And there's power in knowing truth. There's power in saying, this is true. I have solid footing to stand on. Does that make sense? In other words, this is so true, I can bank my life on it. But then God says, all right, now you know that the truth is, you know what truth is. 
Now I want you to yield to it. Uh, we like knowing it more than yielding to it, don't we? <laughs> we love just knowing stuff. That's what Twitter's all about, just knowing stuff, right? God says, no, no, now I want you to yield to what you know. It's another infusion of power. Jesus, speaking of the surrender of his life, said in John chapter 10, 18, I've quoted this before, I love this passage. Love, love, love this passage. John 10, 18, Jesus said, no one, speaking of his life, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down. And I have the power to lay it down. Did you hear what he said there? He had the what to lay it down? Power to lay it down. Christian, it takes power to lay down the desires of your heart. He said, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. This command I've received from my Father, Jesus said, look, when it comes to my life, I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to yield. God wants to give you and I the power to yield because we're stubborn by nature. We don't want to yield. He says, I want you to have this power to lay down your will. Jesus demonstrated the power of the universe to lay down his life. And likewise, he gives this same power to us to lay down our will. He really gives us enough of his power to lay down our will. Now, to be yielded and surrendered, it begins by knowing who we're to yield to. Who are we supposed to yield to? Well, of course, it's Christ. But then we have to be willing and it's at that point we have to bow our hearts in sincerity and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And this is where God says, I'm glad you asked. I've been waiting for you to ask that question. And here we have this succinct outline and how it comes into play. The yielded heart hears the commands of Christ and begins to prepare. Look what it says. After that, uh, or said, uh, verse 4, Jesus rose from supper and laid aside his garments. There's a preparation here. You didn't just uh, get up this morning, um, or you didn't, just, um, you didn't just get here to church this morning. You prepared to get here. That makes sense? You didn't just magically, poof, I'm on genito. How did I get here? I'm dressed, and what, what am I doing here? I, you prepared to be here. That was, a, that was a, a decision in the heart and the mind. You prepared to be here. Jesus rises from supper. Christian, we need spiritual food. Give us this day our daily what? Bread. We need spiritual food to strengthen us that we're able to rise to the service of God. But we cannot stay seated perpetually at the table eating the spiritual food and never rising to service. Jesus rose from the supper table and started to prepare. The food of God, the word of God, sitting in a service like this, your morning devotions, time you read, listening to worship music, you know, just kind of a fellowship night. All that stuff is part of spiritual food. We all need it. I need it. And even Christians don't think they need it. Well, they definitely need it. Because Jesus 
demonstrated all this. This is what he did. He's constantly breaking bread with disciples, but not just physical bread, but spiritual bread. But that nourishment was eventually he sent them out, right? So we can't sit at the table forever and just eat spiritual food. Eventually, the Lord says it's time to rise. Then it says he laid aside his garments. What do we have in that picture? There is always, always, always something that will need to be laid aside in your life and my life. Always something. Jesus had to lay aside his garments. Well, he did, but I surely don't have to. No. He later says in the same passage, servants not, not above his master, right? There always has to be something to lay aside. In Hebrews chapter 12, so we are able to go and do what God's asked us to do. In Hebrews 12, 1, it says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily ensnares us and let us run the race with endurance that Christ has set before us. Didn't just say sins, right? It said weights, too. Weights are not necessarily sins. They're just things that they're not in and of themselves wrong, but they're hindering us from doing the will of God. Christian, what is it God is asking of you and of me to lay aside that we're still holding on to? For everybody, there's something. God say, you know what it is. I've been talking to you about three months, right? There's something we're holding on to at times. What is the next thing? He girded himself. Well, this is preparation. He girded himself. We are able to find time and make time to prepare for all kinds of things, aren't we? If God sent an angel to watch you and me for a month and mark every single thing we prepared for, we would have some splaining to do, right? Where he'd say, all right, you said there was no time to prepare for the work of the Lord, but I found that you prepared weeks for this little party or this little thing or this little thing. And I'm not saying these things are not worthwhile. I'm just saying that, again, God says, look, some things are more important than other things. And the will of God takes precedence over many other things or any other things in our life. Jesus said, seek ye first the what? Kingdom of God. His right. The other things will be added. He'll make sure you fit in the other stuff if they're important at all. And some of them, again, may not be super important, but they may still be part of the life God wants in your life. And so those things will need some type, type of preparation, but not to the extent that God says, look, these things are about souls. These things are about a spiritual life. These things are about eternity. These are the things that really matter. You know my quote that I love. I didn't coin it, but I like it. If it's important, we'll find a way. If it's not, we'll find an excuse. And it's true. We'll find an excuse for the things that we don't really want to do where God is saying, this is what I want you to do. This is where I want you to go. This is how I want you to serve. We need to start preparing now for the spiritual steps of tomorrow. Amen? Say, Lord, how, how do I start preparing now? A lot of times it's just to go do something smaller Say, so where do I start? A lot of times, just start anywhere. That's preparation, right? Just to serve anywhere. Say, um, well, uh, I don't think I can get to the foreign 
uh, mission field next year. Uh, we, we took two teams. They're going to talk about Guatemala Wednesday night. I can't get there. Well, why don't, hey, we've got this thing, Hilliard House, Monday nights, uh, once a month. Single moms, go minister to them. Guess what you have to do? Almost nothing. Just sit there and help serve them food. It's a great start. But it's preparation for other things, isn't it? Well, I can't do, I can't do too much. Uh, can you wave cars in? Not into each other, but wave them in, you know, that kind of thing. You know. We've got a parking lot, stuff like that. There's stuff that's preparation for be- bigger steps. And, he, and again, all those things are important. What if I start things I can't actually do? Guess what? If God wants you to do them, he'll give you the power to do them. Isn't that great to know? He'll provide the power to get started. My life verse, you've heard it many times, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I believed in and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed. Who's able to keep it? Me? No, him. Isn't that great to know? He'll give the power for us to complete unto that day. Last thing, fully engaged. There's so many different titles I'm going to come up with these. but um, And understand, too, I want to take one step back about this text. If you... If you're familiar with John 13 and you go further down and uh, remember that you know, Jesus said, I'm going to wash, he starts washing their feet. Peter says, no, no, Lord, I can't do that. And then Jesus says, no, if you don't, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me at all. The spiritual metaphor of this, what takes place, is that Jesus is the one that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. That's point number one. We're looking at this from a different angle. We're looking at this this morning on the paradox of God, how he provides power in our life. But understand that the whole context of Scripture, the principle of um, the fact that you have duality, same text means multiple things simultaneously. It also means, in this passage, when Jesus washes feet, he prepares our feet. The New Testament later says that our feet are shod with what? The gospel of peace, right? That Jesus prepares our feet to go out into the world. But he washes us. If he touches you, you're clean. That's the other emphasis of the whole thing. Once Jesus touches you, you're clean. He prepares our feet. He prepares us. But here we're looking at, he also is showing us where the power of God comes from. And it comes from going lower, humbling ourselves, yielding ourselves. And what will take place when that happens? Well, we'll become part and parcel of doing the work in the vineyard until he comes. And this is where we look at the last piece of Jesus actually washing the feet. Verse 5, after that he poured the water into the basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel in which he was girded. Jesus, knowing fully why he was there, after standing and fully prepared, Gets everything ready, gets the water ready, girds himself, lays aside the garment. Now he actually does what he intended to do. He actually does what he intended to do. You know, it's, it, it, in anything in life, if the doctors get everything prepared, they wash up, they get everything ready, everything, everyone's in the room, they actually come in, and they're ready to do the surgery, and they just do like this. All right, let's all leave now. We got ready. That was a great exercise. Uh, the patient still needs to be touched. 
You don't do all the preparation and then say, I did all this preparation, then just walk away. The work has to be done. The power of God is always a finishing power. Isn't that great to know? Don't you glad that the power of God doesn't stop with God says, for God so loved the, and it stops right there. The power of God is a finishing power. It's a finishing work. What did Jesus cry on the cross? It is finished. Jesus demonstrates that the power of God goes all the way until the job is done. It doesn't just, un, doesn't just make us aware of the job. It doesn't just prepare us for the job. It actually helps us do the job. Jesus told the disciples in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, they would have to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them, then they would go and be his witnesses. Not just when they're on trips, just anywhere they went. You and I need to be his witnesses at Kroger, at Chili's, not to make you hungry, but uh, all these kind of things like that, right? It's right around the corner. If you need to get there, you know where it is. So. The Spirit of God would come upon them. Power is needed for knowing. It comes with knowing the truth. Power is needed for yielding. Power is finally needed for doing. And the doing here, Jesus is washing feet. By the way, these are real feet. Any of you would not like to wash someone else's feet, right? Especially some grimy disciple feet that have been walking all over the hills of Judea and everywhere else around there. When God calls us into the kingdom of God, we're going to have to literally touch people's lives. Literally. And it's a dirty job, isn't it? Think of how much of a mess you were. Think how much of a mess you still are, right? We're all a former really big mess. Now we're like a smaller mess, right? And it takes people that are a smaller mess filled with the Holy Spirit to touch other people that are also various shades of a mess. The only one that was not a mess was Jesus. But he was, the picture here is that feet of human beings are always dirty. Always. How long are you clean after a shower? Not long at all, right? Doesn't take long before you start perspiring. You touch things. You touch the cart in the grocery store, it's over right there. You're, you're not clean anymore. <laughs> you can put all the hand sanitizer. You can bathe in it. You're, it's too late. But touching the feet, Jesus is showing that when we get saved, when we yield to the will of God, we're actually going to really have to touch people's lives. And here's what a lot of Christians don't want to do. They just want to stay in a spiritual bubble. I just want to sit here and listen to classical music and read my Bible forever. That's kind of, that's the monastery mentality, right? You just get up. No, but Jesus went down into the valley with people. It would get personal. You're going to get your feelings hurt. You're going to get your feet stepped on. Even while you're washing feet, you're going to get your hands stepped on. It's one thing. For us to picture ourselves doing what the Lord has asked us to do, at some point we have to move beyond picturing it and actually doing it. By the way, when we actually finally do it, we amaze ourselves that we're even there. We feel like we're on a tightrope. How do we get here, right? Like me, preaching this morning. If you'd have told me this 20 years ago, and I said, you are nuts. I'll never stand in a pulpit and preach. No way. I don't see that happening. 
God has a good sense of humor. He knows <laughs> not what you would want to do or even what you could handle, but what his Holy Spirit would help you do. You'll say, how did we even get here? And then you'll remind yourself, oh, Jesus got me here. That's how I got here. That's how I'm actually in a hospital serving these people. That's how I'm actually over there in the toddlers and it smells really good in there, you know, taking care of diapers and all that kind of stuff. That's how I got into this. You'll remember. Question for you. Whose feet does Jesus want you washing? Whose feet does Jesus... I'm not talking about literally. I know that some churches have done that as a demonstration. I get all that. I'm talking about spiritually speaking. Who are you supposed to be ministering to? I guarantee there's somebody. I guarantee there's somebody. You could start small. The other day, I mean, for months I would run past this one house. It was a police officer's house. And I'd run past the house, and finally, you know, that Lord said, write a card, get a Starbucks card, and thank him for his service. So I did. I don't know who he is. Still haven't met him. One day he might show up here. Just, there's so many ways the guy says, look, just go minister to somebody. Go wash somebody's feet. Go thank somebody. Go encourage somebody. His truth, his will, and our surrender guess what it'll do? It'll send us out with the power of God. Isn't that great to know? Say, well, I don't feel the power of God. You know when the power of God works? When we just obey. Trust and obey. And he said, I said this this person, I invited them. I couldn't believe they said, yes, that's the power of God working. I'll close with this verse that I love in 1 Corinthians 4.20. You know, Jesus said, we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 4.20, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Power. Jesus wants you to have power, but he wants you to know the truth, yield to it, and then do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's close our...